Oh, she's done it. Brilliantly executed. Incredible stuff. The whole family are watching on in anticipation. And yes, there's the final nail in the chicken coop. Dad's been promising to build for a decade. And don't the kids just love it. Coming in for the final turn. He's gone to the left, a little bit to the right. Dodged the hills hoist. Grass clippings flying in his wake. Precision mowing doesn't get any better than that. They've really set their sights high for this one. A pizza oven, water feature and a new deck all by the end of lockdown. But is it too much too soon? Only time will tell. He's a do-it-yourself legend in the making. Welcome to the Sport of Gardening. Here's your host, Dale Vine and Jay Neal. And welcome to a show that was started during the midst of the very first COVID-19 lockdown when all sport was cancelled in Australia and people took to their backyards in droves to enjoy the sport of gardening. Dale Vine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jane. Well, you can still garden here in Victoria, but you can't play sport. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping that uh, we've seen the worst of it so far. But yes, we are recording in uh, Melbourne and thinking of everyone else right around the country on SEN and SEN track who are living in hopefully slightly less constricted circumstances, but still getting out and enjoying. And coming up this week, Dale, we are going to be talking birds. And do you know that bird watching is by some people considered a bit of a sport? Oh, yeah, they can take it pretty seriously. <laughs> Sean Dooley actually broke the Australian twitching record wow. a few years back by spotting the most birds in one year in Australia. He's going to tell us how we can encourage more birds in our backyards. And as we do every week, it's time for our ISO check-in. Malcolm Blight is a man very well known to, I'm sure, all of our listeners out there. Unfortunately, Dale, we could not find a time when you were available. Nope. I was here and Malcolm Blight wasn't on the golf course. No, well, he's, he's on the golf course a lot, apparently. So, uh, no, it was good that you could talk to him at least, Jane. Look, I knew that he was a very keen gardener, so I did this one on my own. It's actually because I love Malcolm so much and I just wanted to have him all to myself. So here it is, uh, recorded a little earlier, my chat with Malcolm Blight. Malcolm Blight would have to kick this. To kick at 85, 90 metres. And he's going to have a kick, all right. It's not over yet. Not over yet. What drama here at Prince's Park? Malcolm Blight, it's a big kick. It's a matter's kick. Well, our guest today is regarded as one of Australia's greatest football players ever. He's one of the few players to have won the Brownlow Medal and the McGarry Medals in his time at Woodville in the SANFL and North Melbourne in the VFL in the 70s and 80s. He went on to become a formidable coach for Geelong, Adelaide and St Kilda and North Melbourne as well and he's been honoured with almost every accolade possible, becoming a member of the Australian Hall of Fame, the Australian Football Hall of Fame in 1996 and received the game's highest honour in 2017 when he was elevated to the official legend status. These days, though, he's a much-loved commentator and radio host. He spends a lot of time on the golf course and loves getting into the garden. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Malcolm Blight to the sport of gardening. Hello, Malcolm. 
Well, hello, Jane. Thank you to the Sport of Gardening for inviting me. Well, I have been putting our little feelers out to find out who in the sporting world is a passionate gardener or loves their DIY. Your name came across my radar with the suggestion that you had not one, but one and a half, if not two, green thumbs. Is there any truth to that rumour, Malcolm? Yeah, no, there is. I, I actually yeah, I do the gardening. Um I must say, I didn't inherit from my dad. Dad cultivated weeds when I grew up, and they were they were green in winter and brown in summer. But they made a beautiful backyard where you could play footy and cricket, so that, that worked for me. We also had 12 fruit trees in the backyard, every variety, including almonds. And we had a few roses out the front, which mum looked after, and we had chooks. So we didn't mow a lot. We let the chooks out and ate everything. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a fruity backyard. It sounds so familiar to me, Malcolm, because, of course, you were born 1950. It's the height of mm. summer in Adelaide. You're born in late February. Mr and Mrs Blight welcome in little Malcolm into the world. Which suburb were we in? We're in post-war Adelaide, and I think that picture of that suburban garden with the fruit trees and the chooks is very familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, it is, yeah. No, it was in uh, Woodville South, actually. Uh, Western suburbs. They were war commission homes, actually. Dad came back from the war. There were four kids in the family, and obviously mum and dad, six of us, lived in a, you know, just a, a humble home, but it was home. Yes, my grandmother was in Plimpton. Her her husband, who sadly died uh, shortly after he returned from the war, he actually built the house, made the bricks himself. But I have those memories of mandarins, oranges, like you've never seen before. I don't know, there's something about suburban Adelaide. The citrus love it, don't they? They do indeed. And in fact, we're in, just in pots, we have a garden. We, we, we've sort of downsized a bit. We've only got about 500 square metres now where we live. Uh, moved in about 18 months ago. But we've got uh, the Maya lemon, uh, which we got a couple off for the first time this year. And we've got a Tahitian lime. Patsy loves a little bit of lime and I love a little bit of lemon. So, that, yeah, we've got two free trees only. Uh, is that to go in a G&T for Patsy and yourself or what's yes, your preferred is. tipple? Yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just a chicken dish, anything with lemon I love. Uh, so she makes this beautiful chicken dish with lemon. Yeah, that's our little favourites. Now, you mentioned that when you were growing up there was chooks in the backyard. Does that mean as little Malcolm had to start uh, learning to play footy that you were always dodging the landmines the chickens would leave behind? <laughs> yeah, no, we had a, quite a long backyard and the fence was divided so the chickens could have that half and I could have a little bit of lawn with my brother and sisters. But I did start to look after them and feed them and collect the eggs and, yeah, it was, I mean, it was all part of growing up. It was great, actually. Fresh eggs every day. Yeah, well, now that's considered very sustainable, environmentally friendly and, you know, forward-thinking. But back in the day, it was just what you did, wasn't it? Yeah, everyone, virtually everyone in the street had them. All the mates had them. All, yeah, everyone, nearly everyone had chooks and... We used to burn the old incinerator. You know, now we've got rubbish bins collection, but we used to burn it all and apparently put some nasties into the air. But I, I love the smell of the incinerator burning with all the stuff in it. I, I, you don't see it very often now. And do you have fun memories of other people in your family? Did you have grandma, grandpa, you know, with big gardens? Did you have anyone who lived down on, on larger acreage or was it more just that suburban dream? Dad's parents lived uh, in Woodville Park, so another suburb not far away from us. And they had a quite a big yard and they had a lot of uh, flowers and fruit trees. But mum's parents lived at Lurup or eventually into Renmark up near the Murray, just inside the border from Victoria. And we used to spend winters there and they had orange orchards, mandarins and lemons up there. So they had a little bit of land and grew stuff and sold stuff. So they were actually on the land when I was little and we used to go up there in the middle of winter 
uh, freezing cold. I just remember being so cold, but oranges are plenty and mandarins, and it was just beautiful, fresh straight off the tree. There's nothing quite like it, is there? Now, take us to your days when you started playing for Woodville. Am I right in thinking you were sort of late teens when things started to get serious? Did you actually sort of stay home, live with your parents and enjoy their backyard, or did you move out and then start to have to attend your own gardens? Married a day after my 23rd birthday to Patsy, when it was still obviously married, uh, nearly a long time. 47 um, years, I think, this year, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. <laughs> that's right. So I've known her for nearly 50 years. And I stayed home with mum. I got a bit spoilt there for two or three years with just mum and dad and myself. Of course, since I got married, Patsy and I started flatting, really. Eventually bought a place when we moved to Melbourne to play for North Melbourne. So... It was still mum and dad's place until we moved to Melbourne and I played for North Melbourne. And, of course, then moving around for your football career, it must have been sort of hard. You know, you establish a garden, Patsy's doing some beautiful work too, and then you get a different job and you have to leave. Yeah, I think that last counts. I think we've had 24 houses or 24 addresses or something. So oh, it's, a, wow. it's been a lot of moving. And, yeah, it's been good, actually. We, we enjoy doing it. Patsy, we actually ran an interior design business, Patsy and our daughter, um, when we are up in Queensland. So we, we've actually carried it on everywhere we go we sort of knock houses around and do them up and then do it again and move on so whether the job changed or not we kept on doing it. So are you very handy on the tools then I had no idea that you had renovation experience Malcolm. Yeah I wouldn't say I was A grade. Um, (laughs) It's not like you to talk yourself down. No no probably on the cusp of B C. Uh, but I, I know where the screwdriver is and I know where the drill is and I know how to cut a piece of timber and all that. I did woodwork at school, actually. Yeah, I got a, a rough idea. I, I poke around. Anything too hard, I just get the experts. Yeah, leave it to the tradies. And so in those early days, did you have to keep working and play footy for those first few years? For, for every year. It wasn't until late 1990s that uh, all, all that changed. But no, I'd worked in quite a big business, actually. And I started off in the bank and then moved into distribution and transport and so all through playing and early coaching is that's you worked and played just like everybody did in the game. It wasn't full time at all. Do you feel for the players now who are in a hub situation? I mean, no one could have foreseen what would have happened with the 2020 season. Obviously, they have a valid reason to uh, feel as though it's a very strange situation. But do you think they've got an easier job these days? Oh, no, not not in a hub. I don't envy anyone right now. I mean, players, coaches, administrators, staff, the AFL. I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible time. And I think more power to the players. I really mean this. I mean, there's a lot of criticism of them in certain ways, but I think to actually keep the game going, and it's good for them too. I mean, they get paid so they can look after their families. But secondly, if they don't keep playing, the advertising dollars are going to go away and the game might be in disrepair coming out the other side. So the fact that they're still playing, at least there is some advertising money coming in and keep the game going. Otherwise, you might have to shut the doors. And how did you and Patsy cope in those first few weeks of lockdown here on the Sport of Gardening? We've been checking in with people each week just to see how they're going. Was I mean, I know you still host a show in, in Adelaide and you can probably do that from home if you're lucky, but was it really strange to just down tools and have such a sort of break. Yeah, it was actually. You know what we did? I mean, this is quite, you know, there's those programs like Love It or Listed or, you know, Selling Houses Australia or Better better Homes and Gardens. Patsy just loves them. I must say, I quite enjoy them too. I think we've watched 538 episodes of all of that, (laughs) all different shows and that, and and on gardening and even a bit of cooking, which I'm not a cook, but Patsy is, and and also the, the home renovation. So, yeah, we survived it all by uh, watching those sort of shows.
Oh, that is so good to hear because it can be really inspiring. It can be discouraging if you think, I'm never going to be able to make my home look better, but so inspiring if you know you can do a little bit around the house and and improve a place where a lot of people have been spending a lot more time at home. So what's your favourite thing to do in the garden, Malcolm? We've spoken to Gary Lyon on the show. He is happiest when he is mowing, and I think a lot of people relate to that, but what do you like doing? I don't have a mower because out of the 24 homes, this is the first time I haven't had a mower. I have some cultivated green grass but it's a bit shiny and it's a bit plasticky so I promised myself as we downsize in, into our latter years I've made for a whole my life I'm not doing it anymore but uh, yeah so we've got alternative methods uh, of doing that with ivy and, and synthetic grass. Now do you have a particularly favourite flower? I know you said Patsy's got the roses out the front is there a particular flower that you just can't help but admire every time you see one? You know the little things you get attached to your plants when you buy them you know, the little pictures and tell you what to do and how big they grow and where to plant them and yep. all that. I've actually got them sitting on my desk as you were going to ring. <laughs> and I've got a thing like a, a, a Japanese maple, which is brand new. It doesn't look all that well at the moment. I was really going to ask an expert, is it going all right or not? We've got petosterum. P- p- I can't even say that word, petosporums. Obviously, we've got um, magnolias, Korean box. We're growing a little hedge down the side. Impedience, ah, beautiful little plants in the garden, purple, pinks and whites. Nandina is a really popular plant here with the heat and gets up. And of course, camellias, uh, oh, and viburnum and tinus. Yeah, viburnum tinus, Mareas. Yeah, I've got them all. I've got them all here. Oh, sounds like a lovely array. I would have to say, with the Japanese maple, of course. It will have lost its leaves at this time of year and it will only start to put on some growth in spring, I would suggest. So I would not panic at this stage if it's a relatively new plant. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful little <laughs> thing in the middle of the garden out the front. And I thought that Patsy was starting to panic and I told her, no, I reckon it will come. I'm going to tell her now that Jane said. <laughs> Uh-oh, fingers crossed that uh, I'm not leading you astray, but look. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you had a particular fertiliser or do you head up to the hills and grab some cow manure or some chicken poo somewhere or any particular things you like to put on the garden? Whatever the local hardware store has and suggests or the fruit, uh, you know, the plant place there, I say, I've got this and they say, use this and then I go and buy it. And it usually works pretty well. <laughs> and so far, so, so far, so good. You know, if it's sudden impact for roses or I got, got some the other day from uh, nitrogen for the lemon, for the citrus trees, so some sort of nitrogen thing. So that was good. And with the magnolias, you said, have you ever been to the Mount Lofty Botanic Gardens, Malcolm? Because they have one of the biggest and most stunning magnolia collections in Australia or perhaps even the world as far as I know. Have you ever headed up there? Yeah, about 1972. <laughs> I don't know if they were there then. I haven't been there for a long time. I implore you at this time of year, you must take Patsy for a little picnic. Since you're in Adelaide and you're allowed to travel, not like us uh, Melburnians, head out to Mount Lofty, head to the Botanic Gardens there to their Magnolia Grove. You will never regret it. It is absolutely stunning. Beautiful plant, aren't they? Beautiful. And Malcolm, for the rest of the season, look, there's changes happening. We're condensing the footy season what are your hopes? Are you thinking if you were a groundskeeper at the Adelaide Oval, perhaps up to stadium crew or maybe even at the Gabba, should those guys be thinking about preparing the ground for a grand final? Because it's looking like it may not be at the MCG. Yeah, it looks more daily, doesn't it, like that? There's a big push for Queensland. I'm, I'm pretty keen on either South Australia or Western Australia. The two, you know, the two states that have been AFL-orientated, they've always wanted a grand final. It's always been at the MCG, which I agree with. I mean, that's that's the deal that's been done. I can get, if Queensland could get one too, it, it just 
it, it's not going to change the game up there. Rugby league will still be their main state, but it'll be a gradual little increase in numbers watching our game, which is great. Either way, as long as they get to play it, that's what I'm hoping. I've got my fingers crossed that we actually get through all this thing. Absolutely. Well, look, Malcolm, fingers crossed that it's going to happen and that even you might be able to get to a grand final. We certainly won't be coming your way, I think, if it's uh, the other way around and it's going to a SA. So good luck for the rest of the season and, and thank you so much for joining us on the Sport of Gardening. I really do love the Sport of Gardening. It's right. It's a great way to spend a, a, an hour or two in the garden. And uh, thank, you for, thank you for thinking of me and my garden. Oh, enjoy the next GNT you have with that fresh Mayer lemon from the lemon tree and send our best wishes to Patsy. <laughs> Good on you, Jane. Bye. Malcolm Blight there on the sport of gardening. You love his analysis, don't you, Dale? Love it. Yeah, I reckon he's... Um He's got a great mind for footy, even with the current game. He's he's a real good analyst. Yep. And analyst? Yeah, is that it? I think so. (laughs) And analyst. He's great at both. I'm dobbing you in. You're going to be on (laughs) off the record now. And, of course, love the idea of uh, Malcolm sitting down there with his G&T, with his own little lemon and watching renovation shows. Not quite the sort of thing that I expected him to be. Me neither. (laughs) Binge watching. Hey, stay with us on the Sport of Gardening. We're going to talk to Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia later in the show and find out how we can uh, help our Australian birds and maybe attract them to our gardens. And in just a moment, we are going to be talking tools again. Thanks to Cyclone Tools. They are built to last a lifetime and Trojan Tools. Tools built tough, available at Bunnings Warehouse. We're going to get back on the TPI bandwagon, Mm. aren't we, Dale? We are, yep. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Don't shoot the messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Great local tips, books, screen food, recommendations. The week that was. It brings a lot to the table then because he was in the Corona cabinet and there's things he can't say. We've been bluing for 25 years. It's going to continue. You know, that's just the way it is. But when you're at home, it's like watching mum and dad fight. I'm day 15 of Dry July. Yeah, I embarked upon it. And when they announced the lockdown, I went, oh, really bad call. I must say... I am getting so much more done. I'm reading more at night. Because you're not falling asleep in yeah. a drunken bug. I didn't mind Greg Hunt mucking up the mask. I thought that was sort of quite cute. I would not put cute and Greg Hunt in the same sentence. The tiger ever. supporter, just saying. For red energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. Become best friends with Caro and Corrie. Subscribe and listen today wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. Great to have your company on The Sport of Gardening. You're with Jane and Dale. And, of course, Dale is Dale Vine, the author of a little book called Dale Vine's Mm -hmm. Outdoor Reno Guide. Transform your garden on any budget. I reckon Father's Day is coming up uh, in a little while, isn't it, Dale? Great idea as a gift for Dad. Now, we love talking tools here on The Sport of Gardening, thanks to Cyclone Tools, built to last a lifetime, and Trojan Tools, tools built tough, available at Bunnings Warehouse. Dale, you've actually been back on the old uh, Cyclone, was it the Trojan Saw? Yes, so I actually got the handsaw out this week, Jane. I um, 
I built a couple of seats for a uh, showroom at a, a company in Geelong. And yeah, I used some big, thick uh, 150 by 150 Cypress um, for the posts for these seats. The circular saw, as I said last week, that most people try and get away with using first, a little battery operated, wouldn't get that far through a post that thick. So ah, I, I had I, to resort to the manual Yeah, labor. I started with the circular saw, got as far as it went, and then I had to get the old hand saw out and give it a crack. And tell you what, this, uh, I think it was nine from memory, Jane, nine TPI per inch, bloody works, because it, it chomped through that wood as if it was... Uh, my teeth going through a pizza. It was uh, it was so good and smooth, and the the cut was just clean as at the end. So I was really, really, really pleased with it. So you've re- reviewed the tools and now taking them into your work site and actually enjoy them all over again. Yeah, and it's funny because yeah, some of these tools I don't use all the time, like I was saying with a handsaw. But once you use them and uh, they work well, you really get a good. Um, a good respect for how good the tool is compared to your old one that you've probably had for, you know, 15 years. Now, you actually uh, lent me your Trojan Precision Screwdriver yes. set that Trojan sent. It was really interesting because I'm like, oh, like, I've got so many random tools. And one of the latches on one of our cupboards that's in a really prominent walkway in our house Yep. Busted. Yeah. So it just would not latch closed. It has been bugging me for weeks. Gaffer taped it up, doesn't pain. (laughs) So I went and bought a latch from Bunnings. Yep. And then realised that all of my other screwdrivers were too tall for the space that it was going to go into. So the precision screwdriver set, I mean, most of these are only sort of, you know, the length of your hand are tall. They're the smaller ones, but I found that the big size was just the normal screwdriver, not a Phillips head. It just worked perfectly. And it was so handy to have something that fitted into a really small space because it was fiddly, it was annoying. But I got the job done. That's what they're made for, yeah. <laughs> they fit into those tight little spots and makes your hands feel really big too when you're holding a little <laughs> screwdriver like that, like you're a big, powerful thing. I've got giant man hands, as I've said many <laughs> times. So, yes, did feel a little giant. But it was very satisfying to get a job that had been bugging me just finished and ticked off the list. Yep, and easily, which is all thanks to those Trojan little smaller screwdrivers. And we also would love to um, hear from you. If you have a particular tool or something that you want to acquire or a dream DIY skill you would like to acquire, I want to learn to weld, Yep. which I've been banging on about so for do quite I. some time. <laughs> I know. When we first met, it was like, do you want to learn to yeah. weld? <laughs> Let's weld together. <laughs> Uh, so you can always let us know. Perhaps there's um, something you need a bit of advice on in uh, replacing in the tool shed or you would like to let us know your dream skill you'd like to learn. Send us an email, feedback at sportofgardening.com.au. In a moment, we are going to chat bird watching and encouraging birds to join you in your garden with Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. The Sounding Board with Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett. It's sport, it's the media, it's talking about the issues that matter. I know for a fact that the players Mark Rusciuto referred to publicly were furious. And I reckon, without speaking to Sam and nor would Sam tell me, to Leon's point, the timing and time frame around Sam hitting go on that story is in direct relation to Mark Rusciuto making those comments unnecessarily about five, six weeks ago. He got in the States, Donald Trump finally agreeing to wear a mask because he had previously 
obviously seen it to be, in his mind, a sign of some sort of weakness. And the Republicans are supposed to not be wearing masks, and the Democrats all are. And that how that became a political issue, I'll never know. Why do we think we can actually influence people? Because we can't. All of us in the media absolutely get carried away with our own non-importance. For DrinkWise, stay safe. And if you're choosing to drink, please DrinkWise. And for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. The Sounding Board with Hutchie and Damo. Subscribe and listen today wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. And you're with us on the Sport of Gardening right around Australia, whether you're listening to the podcast or whether you're listening on SEN or SEN track nationally right around the country. I'm a massive bird lover, Dale. We've discussed that. And today we're going to get some really great advice as to how you can encourage birds into your backyard. Perhaps you're thinking of planting some new varieties. Well, this man is an expert. Sean Dooley is the National Public Affairs Manager for BirdLife Australia. He's the author of The Big Twitch, which I have sitting on my Kindle ready to read soon. It's an account of his attempt to break the Australian record for the number of birds seen in Australia in a single year. And Sean firmly believes that birdwatching is a sport. He's passionate about helping us to improve the lives of Australia's birds from the most endangered to the ones that we see in our backyards all the time. Hello, Sean Dooley, and welcome to the Sport of Gardening. Uh, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Hey, if uh, if this COVID stuff goes any longer, you'll have a show on this station, the uh, the Sport of Birdwatching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. I, I remember when the big twitch came out, one of the first radio stations I did a uh, promo uh, of the book was on uh, SEN and we, we got the, Matt Hardy, the comedian, was uh, a host of a show and he got me in and we we did it on the basis that, you know, bird watching is an elite sport and as a national record holder, I, I needed to be recognised for my efforts. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember the, the footballers on the panel were just uh, in disbelief and, and they played along with the joke, but then afterwards one of them came up and Said, you're not serious. Yeah, no, it's, it's not really it's not a sport. For real, is it? <laughs> you could see, yeah, you could see see him thinking. Oh, you know, I've dedicated 20 years of my life to training every morning and that stuff, and this clown's coming in claiming it. So he's an athlete. Yeah, yeah, as long as you're sponsored by Body Armor and you get free shoes, mate. I reckon it's up there. <laughs> Definitely, any binocular companies yeah. out there want to want to sponsor me? I I'm think, up for it. I think. What it sort of taps into, though, is the competitive nature of everything. And that's why we talk about the sport of gardening, because we do get competitive. People were missing sport. They got into their backyards and started doing DIY projects and tackling garden that they hadn't maybe even touched for quite some time. But along with that, Sean, has been a huge explosion from what I see on Instagram and social media of people suddenly realising there are all these incredible birds in their backyards that when they hit the highway, sit and peak hour and go to an office and work all day, they just miss out on and now they're discovering what's in their own backyards. Absolutely. It's been phenomenal, the response that we've seen from people doing exactly what you say. And yeah, don't let the genteel exterior fool you. Birdwatchers can be highly competitive as to who's seen the best bird or who's got the best bird coming into their yard or, or the best photo of it. And and we've definitely seen a big increase in, as you say, people are at home, things are quieter, there's less traffic noise, so there may be hearing birds more, but also just sitting and, and seeing what comes into your garden. It's been an eye-opener for a lot of people. And in the first couple of weeks when we went into lockdown the first time, 
BirdLife Australia and me personally, it's just getting all these calls and messages saying, what's going on with the birds? They're acting crazy. And I had to say, well, in most of the instances they gave me, I said, no, that's exactly what they normally do. It's just we've never noticed yeah. what colourful characters they are. Yep, unreal. And, of course, we had the bushfires right around Australia. You know, there's places mm. in completely devastated environments and birds, of course, have to go somewhere. So is it true that people were seeing species in suburban and urban areas that perhaps they'd never seen before as the birds moved in to try and find food where their normal habitat had been burnt out? Yeah, that's definitely happening. And it's happening right on the ground zero where the bushfires were, places like Malacuda, where they've managed to save homes. They've also managed to save the gardens. And and people have been seeing things like whitbirds and lyrebirds and um, rare glossy black cockatoos coming into their gardens uh, in, in the township. But it's also happened right across the, the whole landscape. Like these fires were so massive that the birds that have survived have had to move a long way to, to find food. And we've been seeing birds that we're pretty sure are fire refugees coming from um, places like Gippsland turning up around in the cities like uh, around Melbourne. Uh, we've had definitely had birds that, that these amazing beautiful black cockatoos with red tails called glossy black cockatoos mm. and for the first time in probably 150 years they've turned up in suburban Melbourne since the bushfires Wow! Uh, especially down in the southeast of Melbourne around places like Langwarren and Brayside and um, you know we're seeing a lot more birds that did survive the fire turning up. Um, there's lots of records of rainforest birds, uh, rainforest pigeons uh, in places like Sydney and Wollongong and, and the Central Coast where they normally wouldn't show up. And they're showing up because when they're flying across the landscape that's charred and recovering from fire, the green patches are often in the towns, in our in our backyards. I did nature tourism straight out of high school for a year there and I um, we did a lot of bird watching and um, we had nature journals where we used to find birds, draw them, then look them up when we got back to um, the classroom. And it was great fun and we did lots of big walks through the Grampians as well where you saw lots of beautiful birds in the natural habitat. Even at night time we'd go out with the infrared rather than your normal torches which hurt their eyes and stuff like that. So I've got a big respect and and I love the birds that you can find around Australia. We've got some of the best looking ones too, Jane. Um, and that's and that's not just the feathered ones. And I reckon that we've been told that you never really try and feed birds so because they've got to rely on themselves to find food. So once people start putting seed out in their backyards, which a lot of people do because they love their visitors coming every day and is that something you would say not to not to put seed out for birds or like natural birds i I reckon the the official view is starting to change on that my attitude is that yeah in australia you don't need to feed the birds Mm. we don't have really harsh winters and we don't have big food shortages necessarily and and a lot of australian birds are geared to moving around looking for a feed across the landscape so people who feed the birds it's not total a matter of survival for the birds but what it is important for is the people that feed the birds it's a great way to connect to nature and we know through the work we've done at BirdLife Australia and through all, all the stuff I've, I've done that people people really love their birds and they love that connection and 
there's been research showing that maybe between 30 and 50% of Australians feed birds in their backyards. Mm-hmm. And so if we're just sitting here, sitting back as experts going, oh, well, you shouldn't do it, then you're just losing those people, you're alienating them, and they're mm-hmm. going to do it anyway, maybe not do it so well. You know, you definitely can feed birds. And if you're in the city... You've got fairly street smart birds anyway that you're not going to be impacting too badly, but you need to do it properly. And that means you've got to be careful about what you feed them. You don't want to be giving them junk food. Just bread is really bad for all birds, really, especially mm-hmm. white bread. Even just feeding like magpies or kookaburras, stuff like bacon or sausage meat is really, really not great okay. because they're not geared for that high fat, high salt and not the right nutrients. And the other big thing is you've got, if you are feeding birds or even with a bird bath, you really need to keep that area clean and disinfect it regularly because you're getting birds that are coming in that wouldn't normally mingle in the same way. And you don't want to be in doing the thing you love and it ends up affecting the birds by spreading a disease from one species to another that they wouldn't normally mix. So if you do that, you can get a lot of enjoyment and the birds... Really, you're just giving them a. You're not giving them your ma- the main meal for the day. You're giving them a just cup a of tea and a biscuit. Yeah, nice. I like that. No, that's good. At least yeah, I can exactly. tell me mum she can keep doing it. <laughs> and just don't go overboard. And I yeah. love what you're saying, yeah. Sean. Clean up the area the same you would your own dinner table. Now we're talking about planting in your garden exactly. to attract birds, provide them with some habitat. So we're going to go through a couple of our favourite birds here. I'm going to play you their calls. I'd like to see whether you can actually yeah, tell sure. which birds they are, Sean. But if if you can't, I mean, I would totally understand that. I want to know what I would plant in my garden to try and attract this one. It's a familiar sound for many people in Australia. That is the sound of the superb fairy wren or the blue oh, wren. Sean Dawley from BirdLife Australia, what do I need to plant in my garden to try and give the little blue wrens, one of my favourite birds, a bit of a home, a bit of a safe place? Blue wren, the superb fairy wren, they're just brilliant and they're a lot of people's favourites. The thing to remember with them is that they are insect eaters and so they're not going to come to a bird table unless you've actually got, I don't know, throwing out mealworms or something to them. But they're, um, they, so you need to plant stuff that, that's going to attract lots of a variety of insects, small insects. And that sort of stuff is the thicker, denser bushes. Uh, they, they tend not to feed, they tend to feed on the ground or very low. Um, so you want to be planting stuff that, that provides thick cover. Uh, one of the other problems for attracting wrens into your garden is that they get bullied by the bigger birds, the more aggressive birds, like not just the predators like currawongs and ravens and magpies, but also birds like wattlebirds and particularly the noisy miner, which is the native honey eater. Um, they just don't like the smaller birds. And so if you've got a garden filled with nice big flowering gums and and you know, well-clipped lawn and, and things, that's not going to be very helpful to a fairy wren. You need lots of dense cover so they can find insects in there, but also so they've got a bit of refuge um, from the, you know, from the bully boys of the bird world. I always find them in things like blackberries and japonica and spiky plants as well, where the birds feel like they're <laughs> going to be able to avoid a local cat or something. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, natives, as, as you said. The, uh, you know, they love a, a big thicket of blackberries and, and other sort of brambly kind of kind of plants. 
obviously, you know, native stuff is, is, is better. Indigenous, the, the more indigenous and local to the area, the more beneficial it will be. It's more the structure of what you've got in your garden that's as important. Really dense tangles of stuff. Some people don't like it. They like their garden all neat and tidy, but it's just the opposite for a bird like a fairy wren. And also all the other small birds, like things like thornbills and robins, they really love that dense, thick cover that they can retreat to and also find find a feed in. Mm. Now we've got Dale's favourite bird here, so have a listen to this mm-hmm. little guy. <laughs> Why do you love tawny frogmouths, Dale? <laughs> Oh, they're just funny-looking little characters. And um, yeah. uh, we used to see a lot of them when we were doing camping trips and stuff, and they'd make that classic mopoke sound as well. Yeah, they were just a really cool owl that um, looked like a branch just sitting there until they just slightly moved. You wouldn't even know it was there. So, no, nah, just a just a favourite of mine because of how they look and the funny characters that they are. Now, they do blend into trees, uh, Sean, so I'm assuming I'm thinking maybe someone on a larger property, you could think about planting trees that will be suitable for them or do you need the hollows? What does a tawny frogmouth need? They are great birds. They During the day they look like a bit of dead wood in the uh, in the tree and they're, they're not actually owls. They're, no, they're, they're not, night jars, aren't they're, they? They're not, yeah, they're, not, they're in oh. the night jar yeah, family. Yeah, I do know that. But unlike the owls, yeah, they, they don't... Um, they don't nest in hollows. Uh, like if you were after trying to attract a boobook owl or a barn owl into your place, you'd need to put up a nest box or have a big old tree with hollows in it. But the tawny frogmouth actually actually builds a really flimsy nest, almost no nest at all, on on a horizontal branch of a tree. And interestingly, they they'll nest in pretty much any any large tree um, and. Certainly, they're much more common than people realise. Uh, they sit there during the day and people walk past them. And if you go to any large park in, in the city, even like uh, even in central Melbourne, almost every large park has at least one pair of tawny frogmouths in there. So in terms of providing habitat for the tawny frogmouth, they, they're actually reasonably common in the suburbs as it is. So there's probably not that much you need to do to attract them into your garden. Um, obviously, old trees are good for them to nest in, but they tend to feed by sort of pouncing on on stuff on the ground or flying around and chasing things like moths. Uh, but probably the best thing that you can do for tawny frogmouths is not use uh, the new second generation of, of rat poison in, in your place because um, we've discovered... Uh, through through some work of some researchers that the, these new um, sort of more efficient working uh, rat and mice poisons that, that are out available anywhere uh, that anyone can use, they actually don't break down really quickly. And so birds like a boobook owl in particular, but also tawny frogmouths, they go and they'll find a, a rat or a mouse that's eaten the, eaten the bait and hasn't yet died. And they'll They'll get it, they'll consume it, and they get levels of this poison in their body. And that toxicity builds up pretty quickly and it doesn't break down. And there was one study a guy did that we worked with out of Perth where he found all these road-killed boo-book owls right in the southwest of WA. And I think it was something like 73% of them had really high, almost toxic levels of this um, of this rodenticide in their blood. And what it does, if it doesn't actually kill them, it gives them sort of 
you know, cognitive dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not able to f- uh, be as coordinated in their hunting. And they either starve or they come down on the road looking for roadkill and they, they're not quick enough, um, agile enough anymore to move out of the way of cars. So they'll often get hit by cars. Mm. So in terms of planting, there's not that much more you need to do to encourage tawny frogmouths into your garden, but definitely put the put the latest um, uh, rat bait. You know, put the poison, the rat yeah. bait. Put put it away. Try and f- use traps. If you have to use poison, use some of the older stuff. And you can ask your hardware store what what the older version, that the the first generation of rat poisons are. Because the second lot just doesn't break down, and it's really decimating our birds like tawny frogmouths and boobook owls. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that BirdLife Australia, though, is um, you know helping with submissions to actually try and lobby for some of those poisons to actually be taken off the shelves. So well done. Hey, mm. if people want to find out about maybe some tips on feeding or some of these planting ideas, where can they go? Where do we find out more about what you do with BirdLife Australia? Yeah, we run a really great program um, called. Uh, birds in backyards and it has its own website that's birdsinbackyards.net that's got heaps of really useful tips on on what to plant and and where and garden design also it's even got uh, nest box designs if you want to build your own nest box for parrots or specific birds even owls occasionally will nest in a nest box and that's got a whole range of resources and also at the moment uh, we're going having our winter Birds in Backyard survey, which you can register to do, and talking at the start about how people have got into birds during the lockdown, we saw a tenfold increase in people submitting surveys of their birds in their backyards for the autumn surveys. So we're really hoping to get a lot of that information because we actually know, you know, really not that much about our most common birds in the areas where they live, which is in the cities. So. Uh, it's really fantastic to get as much information about what people are seeing out there and what birds are using, what type of garden. Yeah, I did get confused before this, um, Sean, as well with the uh, boobook owls are the ones that make the mopoke, isn't it? That's the not the tawny. Yeah, frog that's mostly. right. Yeah. But bizarrely, the tawny frogmouths get called mopoke. Yeah, I know. So I've, I've fallen into that trap myself. There you go. We've learned something today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia, thank you so much. It's just so wonderful to know that people are just enjoying their gardens and the habitat it provides for birds right around the country in some of the toughest of circumstances post-bushfires in the midst of COVID. So thank you for the work that you do and it's been great to have you on The Sport of Gardening. Oh, thanks, Jane. Thanks, Dale. It's been great to be on. And you are on The Sport of Gardening. Thanks to Cyclone Tools. They make premium gardening products and have been the choice of garden landscapers for over 100 years. Cyclone Tools are available at Bunnings Warehouse and leading hardware and leading hardware retailers. Look at you pulling out a bit of night jar knowledge there. Yeah, yeah well, when you know a bird, you've got to find out stuff about it. I love it. It's fascinating, isn't it? And there's so much that you can learn. And obviously, like you said, we don't know about some of the most common birds in yeah. our backyards. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Do not go anywhere. Still to come on The Sport of Gardening, we are going to answer, well, hopefully, Dale's got some advice for Gavin from Stirling in the Adelaide Hills, who has a little bit of a pruning issue he'd oh, like yeah. to sort out. You're listening to The Sport of Garden. With Dale Vine and Jamie. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. 
cooking. Enjoy Tuesday with Ash Pollard. Really, the people around here truly lived farm to table. I know it's trendy now, but it was necessity back then. The parents, Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley. At the height of coronavirus lockdown, I gave up on all screen time restrictions. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's lifestyle podcast available from your podcast provider and the SEN app. Welcome back to The Sport of Garden with Dale Vine and Jane Neal. And with you out in the garden doing a little pruning, perhaps digging a hole like Dale loves to do. Yeah. Or you are in the car travelling. Perhaps you're in Melbourne and you're completely stuck for the day inside. Yep. Whatever you're up to, we hope you're enjoying the sport of gardening. And just before we go, Dale, we have a listener question from Gavin. Right. Sterling in the Adelaide Hills, an absolutely stunning part of the country. Mm. Uh, very chilly there at this time of year. Now, he sent us this via feedback at sportofgardening.com.au. You can email us anytime or check Dale's Instagram account at Viney D. So Gavin from Sterling has actually sent us in a couple of pictures. Yeah, I got them here. He says, I've recently moved into a place with a big ornamental cherry blossom in the front yard. Looks like it hasn't been pruned for it's years. Looking pretty wild, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any tips on how to approach it? It only seems to have flowers on one side in the past season. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd say the the flowering on the one side looks like it's growing to one side, to be honest, which looks like it's following the sun with its growth probably. Ah. Um, so you could definitely take a lot out of that one. Um, it's very intertwined. There's a lot of crossing over branches. So you could definitely neaten it up quite a lot without even having to take too much off the the top, and then you're still going to get a heap of flowers um, still coming through for you. But if you so, go you don't back, want to go too hard. So. Well, you can. You're just going to have to wait a lot longer for your your flowers. You probably miss a skip a season, and then um, you'll have to wait for the following one for the flowers to come back. Yeah. And do you sort of recommend getting in with a big sort of cyclone or a Trojan yeah. uh, pruning saw first? The big loppers and pruning secateurs? saws. Yeah, whatever gets the job done. If I always start with secateurs, and if it if it's not working for me, I'll go to the next <laughs> biggest thing. So, um, But, yeah, you know pretty well straight away once you start going out a branch if it's going to be too big for the a handheld set of secateurs. So you go to the loppers, and if that's too big again, then you'll go to your um, little hand saws. Now, I can actually see a little a magnolia tree in the background yeah. of Gavin's photo. Um, it's very shady in that garden. Dale, do you recommend that maybe you need a bit more space for a magnolia and maybe some of that foliage, like you said, the cherries growing to one side to the light, maybe getting rid of some of the overshadowing plants? Yeah, well, actually pruning that um, ornamental cherry could give a bit more light to that magnolia, as you said, that's behind it, which could help it flower as well. So magnolias are quite happy growing in the shade. It won't won't hurt the growth of the magnolia, but it just won't flower very well. So, but that's the whole point of a magnolia. I know, yeah. So you might you might as well hack at that um, <laughs> cherry blossom and get it right down, so you got sun for everything. All right. So get into the garden this weekend, people. Do your pruning. I've seen some incredibly well pruned roses yes, around the streets. My of Melbourne. neighbour was pruning roses <laughs> just yesterday, Jane, and I've actually got a whole driveway worth of ornamental pears that I've got to prune myself. Okay, well, that is going to be what I'm up to for the rest of the afternoon as well. Thank you so much for listening to The Sport of Gardening. If you would like to follow any of the tips or the links that we've spoken about on the show today, we've got uh, Sean Dooley from BirdLife Australia. We've got the links to their website. Jump onto our show notes to the podcast version of this episode. And Dale, thank you. 
No, thank you. I, I loved having Sean on the show. I could talk birds with somebody for a lot longer than I knew I was capable of doing, Jane. I think I love, I've got a new passion, birds. Oh, the sport of yeah. bird watching. Believe me, you have to read his book, The Big Twitch, because it is a lot more extreme than you may have ever right. imagined. These guys are full on, guys and girls, chasing birds around the country. Yep. Unbelievable stuff. Cool. We will talk to you next week on the sport of gardening. Have a fantastic week. Talk to you soon. You're listening to The Sport of Gardening with Dale Vine and Jane Neal.